1935, a brand new doughy-eyed umpire took to his place right behind uh, home plate in Boston's famous Fenway Park. The man's name was Babe Pinelli, and it was his first year as the umpire. It also happened to be the final year of one of baseball's most famous and successful players, a man who shared a similar name with Babe Pinelli, none other than Babe Ruth. Now, Pinelli was instructed that whenever he was umpiring Babe Ruth, he was never to call a strike on him unless it was glaringly obvious. Otherwise, it would be really, really bad for him. Well, eventually the day came, or the time came, when Babe took to the plate. Pinelli crouched behind the catcher. The pitch was thrown. Babe was right about ready to swing when something he noticed looked off about the pitch, and so he restrained himself, certain that it would be called a ball. But as the baseball whizzed by Babe Ruth, he was shocked to hear the young Pinelli yell out, Strike one! Outraged, the crowds, the crowds went wild, and Ruth joined in the harassment of the young Pinelli. But Pinelli remained undeterred, and the call remained. And so Ruth once again took to the plate. And once again, the pitch was thrown. And once again, something looked off about it, so Babe restrained himself. But, once again, the young Pinelli did the unimaginable and yelled out, Strike two! Well, as you can imagine, now the crowds were going crazy with dissatisfaction, and Ruth lost all control of his emotions. He started yelling and screaming, and he got right in the young Pinelli's face, and he says, Listen here, kid. There are 40,000 people here who could clearly see that that was a ball, so you'd better wise up. You could cut the tension with a knife. But Pinelli remained cool as a cucumber. And he simply looked Babe Ruth in the eye and he said, Yeah, that may be so, Babe. But in this stadium, my opinion is the only one that counts. I love that. What chutzpah this guy had, right? Well, I share that story with you because in life, we're going to find ourselves in similar situations where it's going to seem like we're in a ballpark with thousands and thousands of people all yelling at us, telling us what we ought to do, think, and believe. But in all of those voices, with various opinions being thrown at us, the question is, whose opinion really counts? Whose voice carries the weight of authority for us? Now, let's be honest. We, we need some guiding voices in our lives. We need a guiding voice because there's a lot of complex matters that are, that are thrown at us. The question is, which one do we listen to? I don't know about you, but it always cracks me up when the world faces another crisis or a nation has another, you know, crisis moment, and suddenly all of my friends on social media are experts in fields I had no clue they studied, whether it was economics, international trade relations, medicine, politics, war strategy. Suddenly, this past week, my friend Bob from high school, who could barely pass civics class, suddenly became an expert in Middle Eastern political strategies. And if you're not listening to Bob, you must be out of your mind. We have no end of those kinds of voices in our lives, but we know those aren't the voices that we need to listen to. We need other opinions. We need expert opinions, right? Fast. Because even the experts will contradict themselves. Look at the climate change, for instance. 
We have some scientists telling us that we need to make drastic reductions in greenhouse gases, while others will tell us, oh, it's not that big of a deal, we can slowly and gradually shift away from fossil fuels. Or look at our economic situation. What do we do about this? Some say that, that the national debt means we've got to really cut back on our spending. While others will say, well, it's, it's not so bad. Who do we listen to there? Who's the voice that we follow? What's the answer? I don't know. The only thing I do know is that the incorrect answer is raise taxes. Amen? Amen. 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 Of course, there are going to be other times when issues are going to hit clo closer to home, when they're going to be personal, issues that we know that the course of action rests on the decision that we make. At times like that, the question, who is our authority, becomes all the more critical, all the more penetrating. So who determines what we decide? Who becomes our authority in those situations? Take, for example, maybe you're in a tough spot in your marriage. Maybe there's been unfaithfulness or financial deception, or there's just been some big decision made without your input. In those really difficult moments in life, who do you turn to for advice? Do you go to Dr. Phil or Dr. Oz? Maybe you're at the point where you're thinking, I need to go to Judge Judy for advice. <laughs> or what about decisions when it comes to growing your business or advancing your career or handling a sticky situation at work? Where do you get direction then? Do you turn to one of those leadership or strategic thinking kind of books, or do you go to mentors or motivational speakers? Who is my authority? And what do I listen to? Who do I listen to? These are the questions that become critical, penetrating even. 2,000 years ago, there was a small little lakeside community that was grappling with such questions. Who is an authority on the important matters in life? It just so happened, as they were grappling with their, these questions, a new teacher showed up in town. He'd been making the rounds for a while, and word had it that this guy was something special. There was something unique about him. He preached and teached like nobody else they had ever heard. What he was saying and how he was saying it was so different. And the people were talking. But then... On top of all that, something happened during one of their worship services, something that was so unusual that it began to scare them, and they weren't sure if they could handle what it would mean for them. The event I'm talking about is what we read in our Gospel of Mark this morning, in Mark chapter 1. And to be honest with you all, it's an event that we all need to grapple with in our own lives because it has ramifications as to who is our authority. It has implications on who our authority is. So what I want to do this morning is I want us to turn to Mark chapter 1, and I want us to wrestle with this question on authority. In Mark chapter 1, what we're going to find is that Jesus has set up his base of operations in a small fishing town called Capernaum. And before long, Jesus was invited into the synagogue to come preach and teach. And his messages that we see really challenged the people. It challenged their way of thinking. It challenged their views, their views on scripture, their views on the world. It challenged their values. He was captivating. He was good. Really, really good. But it wasn't just his rhetorical style that captivated them. There was something different about him. He seemed to have an authority behind his words and they make of it. Verse 22 tells us that the people were utterly blown away by his teaching. The word there is amazed. They were amazed. 
Now keep that word amaze in the back of your mind because it occurs twice in this passage. But it's actually two different Greek words in the original Greek. They were amazed because his words had authority behind them. You know, other preachers, when they would come and preach or teach, they would say, well, let's look at our Isaiah passage. You know, Rabbi so-and-so, he thinks it's this. It means this. But Rabbi such-and-such, he says it probably means this. And they wouldn't really teach with authority. They just kind of taught options, opinions. But not so with Jesus. Jesus taught with certainty and clarity. But then something happened that completely rocked their world. We read that one Sabbath, while they're in the midst of a worship service, something unusual happens, something a bit scary. Verse 23 says, that Immediately then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet, come out of him evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed. They asked each other, what is this, a new teaching and with authority? He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. There's that word again, amazed. Here's what I don't want you to miss, because that word amazed in verse 27 isn't the same as the amazed in verse 22. The ver in verse 22, the amazed means that they were blown away, that they were utterly astounded, that they couldn't believe what they were hearing. It was a good amazement. But the amaze in verse 27 takes on a different flavor. It takes on a tinge of fear with it. It's kind of like an awe with a little bit of unsettling feeling. Something extraordinary and a bit frightening went down. And so they had amazement mixed with uneasiness. Now here's the thing. They weren't, they weren't freaked out by the presence of the demon. The thing that really startled them was Jesus' raw power over this person, over this being. Try to imagine what happened to them for a moment. Try to think of this from a modern perspective. We're in the midst of a worship service right now. Imagine suddenly the middle doors burst wide open and Linda Blair from The Exorcist comes floating down the center aisle, you know, with the green pea soup coming down her chin and she's just talking gibberish. That's, that's scary enough. But then Jesus stands up and with just a few words, and that's all it takes, just a few words, he speaks and the demon has nothing left, no other option left than to scram. It's one thing to be a great teacher. But what Jesus displays here, this is something entirely different. This is power on a whole new level. This is a new type of authority. You know, there's always a little part of me that's a bit reluctant to preach on these demon-possessed, demoniac passages. I, there's a lot in the scripture that's hard for us to wrap our heads around and hard for us to envision. And for me, it, there's something about the demon-possessed passages that seem just a little bit too far removed from our reality. It's, it's, it's a little fairy tale-ish. It's, it's I almost think, you know, these are ancient, Bronze Age thinking people. Maybe they just didn't understand mental illness or something like that. But then we have to think, Jesus is the Lord of the universe. He is God in the flesh. And he clearly saw this man as being possessed by an evil spirit, a demon. There's no mistake in that there. What the Bible makes it very clear to us is that there is real evil in this world. 
that there is a real evil one walking around this world. And he's got evil ones working with him. And there are times when they grab hold of people and they possess them. There are demon-possessed people in this world. You might recognize some of these people. We call them toddlers. <laughs> and teenagers. And IRS agents. I'm kidding, if there are any IRS agents in the crowd, I retract that. It was a joke. I do not want to be audited. I did, I struggled with, with, with really grabbing hold of this. But then I tell you, what changed my mind is my own experience. I, I, I one time in my life came across a man just like this guy here in Mark 1. Now to be honest, he didn't look like Linda Blair. In fact, he was quite charming and charismatic, but the closer I got to him, the more apparent it became that, that something had grabbed hold of him. He was not in complete control of his facilities. And I know by talking to some of you, you have encountered beings like this being here in Mark chapter 1. The point I'm trying to make is that this is very much a very modern story, whether we like to admit it or not. All of us have had encounters, maybe with a guy like Mark, or with just evil in general. Evil that we can't explain, that seems beyond the normal kind of sinful brokenness that we experience from one another. Evil that makes us just shudder in horror. We've all had at least that kind of experience with evil. I was reading this past week about a mother who had stabbed her own children, her defenseless, innocent children. And I couldn't, I just couldn't, as a parent, comprehend that. Where does that come from? Where does that evil come from? On a lesser scale, I'm sure some, all of us have come across a person who's got these self-destructive habits that, that don't make any sense to us. Maybe we know someone who, who knows that they're harming themselves with the amount of alcohol or, or substance that they're putting in their body, but they just can't seem to help themselves. And we say to those people, they're out of control. And to some degree, you're right. They're not in control. We say to those, those, those kinds of people, what makes them act this way? What makes them be this way? And the answer is, there is times in life where there are evil in this world that we're at a loss to explain because it goes beyond what we create in our own broken sinfulness. What scripture tells us is that there is evil in this world and that there is an evil one who roams this world and he's got plenty of friends. We can't see them, but they are serving him. And there are times when they use people like this guy in Mark. And the bad news is, on our own, we are powerless against them. We're really quite powerless against all the evil in this world. We have no authority against such things. We have no power against such evil and chaos. But the good news is, the good news in the midst of all this bad news is that Jesus does. And that's what Mark wants us to hear. Jesus does. He has authority over evil. He has authority over the chaos of this world. He has authority over the evil one. And Mark is making it very clear that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil and to release those who have been held captive by him and to fill them instead with his peace and his holiness our passage makes it very clear today that Jesus has the power to do so. He has absolute power over this demon. He simply speaks and the demon has to leave. Notice that there's no drawn out ritual, no incantation, no mumbo jumbo, incense prop, lengthy prayer, no prolonged struggle. Jesus simply speaks a word, makes the decision, and the matter is settled. Now that is authority. That is real, genuine authority. You know, what's interesting is another word that Mark chooses to use here. It's the word in verse 25 where he says, Jesus rebuked the spirit. 
It's an interesting word that we could just simply gloss over, but it's, it's special because it displays the authority of Jesus in a very powerful way. You see, the Hebrew equivalent of this word in the Old Testament is a word that is used to describe the moments when God simply spoke a word and his enemies were subdued. The moments when God would rebuke them and they were destroyed in an instant. The moments when God simply said it and it was done. So, for example, in Psalm 9, King David wrote this. He says, You have rebuked the nations, O Lord, and destroyed the wicked. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. In Psalm 76, he says, Not one warrior can lift his hands against you, O Lord. At your rebuke, both horse and chariot lie still. You alone are to be feared. God's simple word of rebuke has such authority, it immediately destroys the nations. Horses and chariots are made and rendered impotent. He says it, and it's done. His word is the deed. And so Mark intentionally uses that word here in verse 25, this language of rebuke, God's authoritative word, to show that the the people of Capernaum were being confronted with who Jesus really is. You see, they were horribly amazed because they were realizing that Jesus has the same authority as the God they worshipped. He speaks, and it happens. All of his enemies are under his control, and the people don't know how to handle it. Their amazement has a bit of fear in it, fear because they know what they have just seen cannot be unseen, and now they have a decision to make. So let's pause here and dig into the big question for us. What does this passage mean for us? What are its implications for us? Well, as we wrestle with its implications, what we're going to find is that we have a choice. We have the same decision to make that these folks had to make back then, and that's this. Are we prepared for this kind of authority in our lives? Are we ready for an authority where his word makes it true and his decisions make it happen? Can we honestly handle that authority in our life? This isn't just simply acknowledging Jesus' authority. This is embracing it. It's submitting to it. It's all about those moments when it seems like there are 40,000 people all yelling at us, their different opinions, telling us what to do, what to believe, what to think. And instead of listening to them as loud as they may be, it's about tuning into the one voice that truly matters. So to go back to those examples I gave at the beginning of the sermon, when the news reports another crisis and threatens to throw this world into chaos and the experts are all contradicting one another and we then have a decision to make, how are we going to respond? The question will be, do we regard his word as the ultimate authority? My friends, we must. We must. Because the one who utters this word also possesses the power to bring it to pass. Or when we're going through a tough spot in our marriage and we have to decide how we're going to proceed and what action we're going to take, the question will be, does his word have authority over my decisions? My friends, it must. Because he who speaks also, has the, also decides how things ought to be. Or when we need to make a decision about how to grow our business or advance our career or handle a sticky situation at work, does our direction come from him? And again, I say it must, because he who speaks also determines what will happen. My friends, you and I must come to grips with the power and authority of Christ. His word makes it true. 
His decision makes it happen. His authority makes it so. And so today I invite you into a choice, a choice to tune out the conflicting opinions, the noise, the chaos, and instead tune into the voice of Jesus. Let his authority be the voice that guides you in life. He speaks not just to be heard, but to be followed. Listen to him. Let us hear him. Let us follow him. Because his voice, his word, especially during the times in life when life throws us a curveball and everything seems to be chaotic, those are the times his voice is the only voice that matters. Amen.